Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Francella Chinchilla, a principal with the public affairs and strategic communications firm, The Rabin Group. Francella is in charge of the campaign to make the National Museum of the American Latino a reality. She'll talk about the process and the progress made to bring Latino history to the National Mall alongside other Smithsonian museums. I want to thank all of you following Jesse Garcia's show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the show, visit jessegarciashow.com. I want to welcome the cast of Hamilton to Washington, D.C. The Tony Award-winning musical will begin performances at the Kennedy Center starting this week until September 16th. Hamilton is the story of America's founding father, Alexander Hamilton, an immigrant from the West Indies who became George Washington's right-hand man during the Revolutionary War and was the new nation's first Treasury Secretary. Featuring a score that blends hip-hop, jazz, blues, rap, R&B, and Broadway, Hamilton is the story of America then as told by America now, through music and lyrics by famous composer Lin-Manuel Miranda. Get your tickets today at the Kennedy Center. You can go online at www.kennedy-center.org. And here's your weekly news update. We got 100 days of summer, and rather than just spending your time on the beach, dedicate one week to activism and advocacy. Four big Hispanic conventions are taking place in the coming weeks. First, we have the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials, also known as NALEO, and its 35th Annual Conference. The event takes place in Phoenix, June 21st through the 23rd at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel. NALEO is the nation's largest and most prestigious gathering of Latino politicians. The conference offers professional development specifically tailored for Hispanic public servants. For more information, visit naleo.org. That's N-A-L-E-O dot O-R-G forward slash Phoenix 2018. Next, we have Unidos U.S., formerly known as the National Council of La Raza. The organization is celebrating 50 years of serving the Hispanic community through research, policy analysis, and state and national advocacy efforts. Its conference is taking place July 7th through the 10th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. More than 2,000 attendees are expected at the conference, which will include 43 workshops and 120 speakers. For more information, visit conference.unidos.com. If Miami, Florida is more of your scene, then head over to the National Association of Hispanic Journalists International Training Conference and Career Fair. This event takes place July 18th through the 21st at the Intercontinental Hotel. The conference will feature 13 tracks, 32 recruiters, 22 workshops, and 13 hours of training by journalists of color. For more information, visit nahj2018.org. Last but not least, you can join me at the 89th Annual League of United Latin American Citizens National Convention and Expo in Phoenix from July 17th 
through the 21st. This year's LULAC National Convention promises to be an eventful one as a new leader will be elected. For more information, visit lulac.org forward slash convention. That's L-U-L-A-C dot O-R-G forward slash convention. Hispanic people have existed in North America long before the Mayflower landed on Plymouth Rock, before the Declaration of Independence was signed, and before the first American president was inaugurated. Our Hispanic presence, culture, leaders, and movements have been as big and as bold as the English-dominant culture, but over the years, our history has taken a backseat due to bigotry and misinformation. The best way to get your story told is to take charge of the narrative, and that is what today's guest is doing. Francella Chinchilla is working every day to lead the charge to build a National Museum of the American Latino on the National Mall. Her firm, The Rabin Group, has been working on this effort for 15 years, and Francella shares the latest news of the future of the museum that will finally tell the stories that have been long ignored. I want to welcome to the show, Francela Chinchilla. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the Rabin Group? Hi, Jesse. Thank you. Um, the Rabin Group is a really unique place. In fact, our boss, Robert Rabin, notes that we're the only company of its kind in, in the nation. Um, we are majority people of color, LGBT-owned, majority women, uh, and we work for nonprofit organizations. About 75% of our clients are nonprofits. We consult for them. Both advocacy work, communications work, strategic planning work, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It really, when you work with nonprofits, there's a lot of different things you can do for them. Um, and so it really runs the gamut. And a critical piece of um, our company is that we're values based, values driven, um, not profit driven. Um, therefore, the clients that we work with and work for are aligned with our values, which are progressive, you know, which are about communities of color and bringing power for those communities. What an opportunity. And you're just a, just a couple of blocks from the White House. I know. <laughs> uh, it used to be so wonderful to walk by, you know. And then for the last year and a half, first of all, there were protests. Yes. Like every week, there was a new protest you can go to just down the block. Um, that's died down a little bit. Um, but, you know, we see all the MAGA hats, you know, people, the yeah. tourists that come here and walking around. And it's painful. Uh, <laughs> it's painful. I, sh I should have also noted in the uh -huh. beginning, um, I've been here seven years. I started in our L.A. office as an associate. And now I'm a principal here at the firm. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a Georgetown grad. That's right. Um, I went to Georgetown for undergrad and studied government. And then I went to USC, actually back to L.A. where I'm from originally. Well, I was born in Costa Rica, but I um, grew up in L.A. Uh, I went to USC for a master's in public policy. All the beautiful places. <laughs> You're so lucky. Yeah. So now, what are you, what's one of the things in your portfolio is the National Museum of the American Latino. Tell us a little bit about it and the current status. Yes. I've actually been working on this since the very beginning, um, and the firm has been working on it for about 15 years. Um, this is the campaign to build a Smithsonian American Latino Museum on the National Mall. It's um, a long-term campaign. We call it a marathon, not a sprint. People don't know that we don't have our own Latino museum on the National Mall. They have no idea. Thankfully, we have some local museums, but they don't know we don't have a national one. 
Um, like every other Smithsonian, our museum has to begin first with the drive from Congress. Um, a commission has to be put together by Congress to actually push it and make it viable, make it feasible, um, and see what it is that, you know, really investigate and see what it is that is needed to create a museum. Thankfully, we did that already. So the first step was that, and it happened in 2007. The commission came together, produced their report in 2011. And what were the results? So they found, luckily, it's a bipartisan commission, you know, appointed by both chambers, wonderful group of people. Um, they came in under budget and under uh, the schedule needed. That commission report is found on our website, AmericanLatinoMuseum.org, and you can see all the details. They look at, is there money there? Do people want it? Where should it be? Should it be a Smithsonian? Like, really all those questions. Um, are there artifacts out there? You know, do we have enough information about American Latino history? But they went, they went through it all. So it's, it's a good read. It's a fun read. Um, Selena's Bustier's in there. You know, like all the good stuff. Is in all there. the good stuff. So did it answer the fundamental question, you know, yes. is it important to build this museum? Yes. First of all, people want it, of course. Um, they went all over the country. People want it. Um, second of all, and this is one that unfortunately is more important than it should be, but it's, it's important. Is there money there? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are... They did a fundraising, you know, potential feasibility study where it shows corporations, people, individuals, they really want to be able to contribute to an entity like this. And currently, the Smithsonian does not have anything of this scale that um, honors American Latino contributions. So if you are Coca-Cola and you want to contribute money and Pepsi and others who did give money, for example, to the African American Museum, you don't really have anything um, substantial to give at the Smith to the Smithsonian Institution right now. There are smaller centers that are doing wonderful work, but they're small, not nearly at this scale. Ten million dollar gift and higher, you know. Um, so we're leaving money on the table, you know, by not uh, pushing for something like this. Second piece is um, it needs to be a Smithsonian. It can't be some private museum. Of course, we have tons of private museums. That's all well and good. That's not the same. It's not the same prestige, the same um, draw to come to the United States Capitol City and to visit an actual museum. Because mm -hmm. it's kind of like an honor when I see a lot of the stuff that the Smithsonian has up. And it, it, gives, it takes it to the next level of respectability of like, it's just an honor, period, mm -hmm. honor. It's a world-class institution, the Smithsonian Institution, and it sort of is the official way that we retell the American story, you know, on behalf of the American people, the American taxpayers. It's what the institution displays, you know, the highest levels of learning, you know, and, and access and opportunity um, to the research that's available within the Smithsonian, you know, the, the departments that are available throughout the government, Library of Congress, whatever it is, you know, all of that you only have access to if you are a Smithsonian. It's different to, to have a private museum that is totally closed off from that. Anybody can do that. And this is free to the public, so anyone gets access. Key. It has to be free, just like every other Smithsonian. That National Mall, where all this, a lot of the Smithsonians are right now, the National Mall here in Washington, D.C., um, gets about 20 million visitors a year from all over the world. And they're open every day except, I think, Christmas and New Year's Eve. So that's a lot of access. Yeah, yeah. And 
school groups come, buses, you know, by the bus loads come. I mean, I came when I was in eighth grade to D.C., and that's the first place we went. When families come, it's free. It's family-oriented. It's the place Americans and people from all over the world come to learn about who who Americans are. And currently, there's a huge gap in that. No one is talking about who American Latinos are. And a key part of that, I think, you know, it really begins in the fact that we don't learn about these things in school. And we don't have an institution that's pushing for these learnings at a national level. So if you are an American Latino school child um, coming to D.C. and you go learn about, you know, everything that's happening in Natural History Museum, African American Museum, American Indian, American History Museum, you know, you're going to see 5% of your time, roughly, will be spent learning about your story and look at look, seeing people who look like you. I think... In our schools, we're not telling the story either, um, and we need to, you know, start from the top nationally and say American Latinos have been here for 500 years, 500 years. You know, the border crossed us, as they say. You know, exactly. It's uh, we're not we're not uh, represented um, enough in our school books, and the Smithsonian can be that. Thing, the, 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 the match that strikes the fire to get American public schools to start including more of our stories in our books, highlighting the individuals that are made the United States what it is today. We're part of that fabric. I remember in Dallas, Texas, when we tried to rename a street after uh, Cesar Chavez, oh. a lot of people were not, um, had heard of him, farm labor union guy, but they didn't know the, the, the backstory on him. They thought he was an, an, an uh, immigrant, uh. an illegal immigrant. They were saying the worst things about him when we were having the debate. Mm-hmm. They didn't even, they said he was a communist. Um, little did they know that he was born in Arizona, served in World War II, was a veteran, yeah. and decided to use his freedom of speech to start advocating for um, farm workers. Mm-hmm. So. It's important to tell our stories because the people with the loudest voices are in charge of the narrative in this country. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, what we consider, you know, quote unquote American Latinos, and that's actually one of the first questions the museum has to answer is, who is an American Latino? But one of the ways we talk about it is Spanish speaking in the nation. When you consider that, American Latinos have fought in every single war since the Revolutionary War, every mm-hmm. single one. Before Jamestown was established, St. Augustine down in Florida was the first European colony in this nation, you know? It was down in Florida, Spanish-speaking, first European colony before Jamestown. Um, You think about Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's the current capital in New Mexico. It's the oldest capital in the nation. Why? Because the Spanish settled it before and it maintained its state as the capital, you know? And so, like, we have so much contributions and history to this nation that uh, is totally ignored. And it's sort of rewritten as, like there were 13 colonies and then people moved west and they they found what they found and they established what the, what? No, when they came <laughs> west, they found churches and cities and communities and, you know, and not to mention, of course, we have strong indigenous history in this nation um, that has to be included as part of the American Latino story, you know, as well. You know, these the thing about the beauty of Latinos is that we are a big mezcla, you know? Exactly. And so all of this, kind of, I think it's a radical because it does retell the nice little story of the 13 colonies and, you know, the, the immigrants that were here first. And it's like, mm, 
Actually, I can't wait to see how much culture they're going to weave into this museum from everything from Afro-Latinos yeah. to our indigenous roots to the just it's just so much that we have, you know, in our culture that I can't wait for those stories to be told. Mm-hmm. And the modern day stories, mm-hmm. the LGBT Latinos, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll have a chapter on us. Mm-hmm. Um how many board members, do y'all have board members that are serving as a sort of like a board um, re, re, on this project? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we started with a commission. Mm-hmm. That commission had 23 members, and many of those commissioners have then gone on to join our board. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, we started a 501c3. So this is, of course, the campaign to create a Latino museum. Okay. has its own C3. It's called Friends of the American Latino Museum. And um, that C3 has uh, been around, I think, for 10 years. And it has, um, I think currently we're at like maybe 16 board members um, and a handful of them being commissioners. It's critically important. It's in our bylaws and it it will be currently in the active legislation to create a museum that the board be representative, you know, not only geographically, Mm -hmm. um, but yes, the sort of backgrounds in different countries you know? Great. Yeah, it's key because that's like how... 20 Latin American nations and there's people from all over that are resettled in the United yeah. States that have brought history. And you know, while we're so, we're all very proud to be American, of course, that's why we want to do this. Um, we're also very proud of our, you know, our historical backgrounds and where our families might have come from. I've learned also the differences. You can't get it twisted. You cannot confuse people. So for example, we have to have Puerto Ricans on our board, and then that's different than having New Yorkans on your board. Oh, that's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's different, you know? Like, yeah. you have to have both. Um, of course, there's the Afro-Latino, like you mentioned, is key. Um, you know, all of that balance, gender balance, uh, et cetera. The other piece about this, and, you know, this is, uh, we're in D.C., two blocks from the White House, as we said, um, is the bipartisanship. Yeah, that's going to be important. Yeah. The commission, like I said, was bipartisan, and, and um, it built a lot of great friendships for people across the aisle, which was, which was really successful. We maintain that now. Um, as well. This is, I think, one of those issues. It's, it's special because um, if you look at California and the Southwest through Texas, the elected officials that represent those areas, a lot of, there's plenty of, you know, strong Republican you know, strongholds in those areas. Um, and we have some of them that really support us. Uh, and reason being, from their perspective, if I get to speak for them, is that if we can tell the American Latino story better along um, in the American history, um, you know, larger tale that we have, it means that Texas will actually get elevated. And the true story of Texas, you know, can actually, and, and its, its contributions and the story of, of, you know, the Alamo and everything else actually gets a larger place in American history. The California missions, you know, and everything else actually get um, more credit than than they've gotten so far, you know, because like I said, currently the story goes 13 colonies and everyone spread west and they did what they did, rather than acknowledging the, you know, centuries of, of history that have been there already. So those uh, representatives in those areas, um, Colorado even too, you know, are, are engaged and thinking this is a way to make sure that our state um, is adequately represented, you know, as well. So... Two important questions. Yeah. How much money in total will be needed to be raised, and where is it going to be located? Yes, very good questions. Always asked 
some of the first two questions we are always asked. Um, first of all, uh, it costs roughly, and this is in the feasibility study, uh, the commission report, $600 million to build a museum. That is the same as the African American History Culture Museum, the American Indian, you know, all of the museums that we already have. That's about the same estimate, to have a museum of that size. That money is half public and half private, meaning we have to, uh, we, we being the friends, but really the Smithsonian, when the time comes, has to raise $300 million from private sources. And like we said, we think the money's there. You know, we think not only everyone will want to give a dollar or two or five or ten, you know, to make this happen, but we think high net worth individuals want to have this as a legacy project. You know, American Latinos in this nation who are business leaders and are, you know, leaders of many kinds will want to contribute, not to mention the corporate dollars that we know it'll attract. Um, I want to make a quick note to say the African American History and Culture Museum has broken every record for the Smithsonian most uh, in the cafeteria, you know, most dollars there, most dollars in the gift shops, um, and it was on pace to be one of the most visited museums in the entire world in its first year. Wow, I finally got my ticket, yeah. and it was, I wasn't able to finish going through every, because oh. it's just so much, and then when, when I got into the, the music part, and I just loved going through all those stories, it just took up all my visit in, at that level, but they did such a great job. Yeah. And I remember when I first moved here in 2011, playing softball on those fields because that's America's backyard. You get to use those fields on the National Mall. And then suddenly something, the ground started being broke, you know, and yeah. they started building. And I'm just thinking, wow, I was here when it first was just all land. And now it's a big, beautiful yeah. building there that a lot of people are getting a lot of use of and, and, and are really moved by it. Yeah. Can you imagine the Latino Museum music section? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be amazing. The cafeteria? We're going to have yeah. the best cafeteria on the mall, you know? Like, it's going to be great. And yeah. we so we know that people want it because the African American Museum has shown proof of concept. Exactly. Some people like to say, oh, you know, the black museum's for black people, Latino Museum will just be for Latino people. That's not what's happening. No, it's American. Yes. It's American history. When I went there, I was reading through all these beautiful things that they've managed to get donated. I was thinking, oh my God, this is just so moving, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. just history. It's part of your, it's your country's history. Yeah, and so uh, because of that, I think that energy, the the private dollars are going to come in. Mm -hmm. People don't just come and visit one museum and go home, yeah. you know? They come because of the African-American History and Culture Museum, and then they go to all the other ones, you know? Exactly. So the term has been that the Smithsonian is going gangbusters, you know, <laughs> in terms of raising private dollars. So let me say this, too. That museum opened two years ago. If we were to pass this bill for the Latino Museum today, which is called the National Museum of the American Latino Act, make sure you're a member of Congress is on it. If we were to pass that bill today, it'll take 10 years before we open another museum. That's how long it takes to do these things, at least. Meaning, the Smithsonian's gonna need another draw, you know, something else to excite Americans to come and, and invest in the institution. We can't wait 10 years to open another one. That's been looking at 20 years from now, you know? Yeah. It's too long. And so, although American Indian Museum was 12 years 
um, before the African-American. And so we're sort of on pace to open yes. another one. The public dollars are ne needed. Like I said, a private museum is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a public museum that is part of American history and also has the congressional oversight, which are your elected officials. Congress actually oversees the Smithsonian. They have, they're on the board, you yes. know? Those are our elected officials, our museum, where we can demand that this does actually represent us. Now, one popular question. Yeah, oh, where? <laughs> well, where is it gonna be located and people that wanna donate stuff already, they're already. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Where so we don't exist yet, guys. <laughs> so yeah, we don't exist. There's no don't. We actually get a lot don't of. Have a closet where you're keeping stuff here. We've had some incredible um, people reach out with donations. Whether it is, you know, somebody who had the Borinquenieres. Um, I don't know if you guys know. There's a Puerto Rican regiment in World mm -hmm. War II. The Borinquenieres were. Um, people had our artifacts from their family who served, you know. We had somebody who was the first um, the first re like, recipient, I guess, of a heart surgery in the U.S., and she was the Latina. And she sent in, like, her granddaughter sent in her story and wanted us to, like, elevate it. And there's so many. I mean, we know how much there is. We're just desperate to tell our story and see it, you know, nationally. So I really value and appreciate that everyone wants to send us um, all of their, you know, incredible artifacts and stories. Um, but we don't exist, so <laughs> we don't have anywhere to put it. Um, but thankfully, um, you know, our mission is to create a place for, for these places to go. And in the meantime, um, what we're able to do is direct people to what does exist. Um, so I mentioned earlier the Smithsonian doesn't have um, any sort of large substantial presence, you know, for American Latino history. Um, but they do have a wonderful center called the Smithsonian Latino Center. And their job is to make sure that all of the existing Smithsonians are including American Latino stories. For example, they're working on a kick-ass uh, American Latinos in baseball exhibit Amazing. that's going to be at an American History Museum. So they're going everywhere all over the country and they're collecting stuff, you know, from Kansas City, LA, New York to tell that American Latino baseball story. Because obviously there's a good one there, obviously. So they're doing... Um, you know, they just did a wonderful, they're doing lots of great art exhibits highlighting, you know, artists um, in the portrait gallery or in the American Art Museum, etc. So those are places that exist now, starting with the Smithsonian Latino Center that people can go to and share what's going on. Um, not to mention, there are wonderful local museums. If you go on our website, americanlatinomuseum.org, you're going to see a directory of all the local museums that we could possibly find. And if you know of other local museums, Put them in our directory, please. Put us a note right there. You'll see where you can do that. Go to those local museums. When the time comes for a national institution to be created, we're going to turn to the community, you know? The African American Museum did a whole, like, antiques roadshow style thing, you know, which is so fun. Yes. We want to do that, too, you know? We can do that. And, of course, that has to be in partnership with the local museums, the Mexican Museum in Chicago, you know, the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach, California. Like, there are just so many wonderful ones already doing this work. Um, that's where the National Museum has to so go. You're going to draw on those um, smaller ones saying, hey, what artifacts would you want to like transfer over to the Smithsonian? Work deals with them yep, exactly. <laughs> and do roadshows and all that. So yeah. if they have stuff that's valuable, that's that should be in the museum, go to one right now. And yeah, don't wait 10 years. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's important to um, not only preserve but to make it known to the yeah. community. And, you know, part of it starts, I don't know about you guys, but 
Um, for me, I don't really know my family history, you know, being immigrants especially, and, you know, I know the minority of Latinos are immigrants, but I happen to be one. Um, I feel like we come to this country sometimes and we kind of, like, hit restart on our history, you know, um, where we finally start tracking it. Like, I don't know a lot about my great-grandparents, you know. I think what this will do, hopefully, is really value our American Latino stories that begin at home, you know, our family histories and have those conversations. You know, did we know that our parents did this or did that or a part of this company that then became this, you know, or served in this um, military or whatever it is. We don't, we have to start at home. I never answered your question though about location. Mm -hmm. Has to be on the National Mall, like I mentioned before, 20 million visitors, all going to all the big, most sort of premier Smithsonian museums, we need to be one of those museums. So for people that have never been to the National Mall, never been to Washington, D.C., if you see the Washington Monument and it casts a shadow, it'll hit one of those museums because they're all close surrounding um, the Washington. It's between, they're literally between the Washington Monument and Congress, mm -hmm. the bu um, building of the Capitol, U.S. Capitol. So that's the location somewhere near there don't let anyone tell you there's no more room left on the national mall you're gonna hear some people say that i won't name them <laughs> but they have power and they say the mall is full the mall is full the mall is not full there's the a lot of space there's a lot of sport <laughs> i play sports on that <laughs> national mall every sunday and i can tell you there is a lot of space we have designated locations in our commission report and just two years ago, another initiative for a women's history museum came out, and they put a commission report out, and they also found a bunch of space and locations. So, like, experts have come in, looked at them all, and said, yes, here are three to four spaces in which we can construct a new, brand-new museum. We can. There's also an existing building on the National Mall that's empty. It's called the Arts and Industries Building. Um, we can take that over if we wanted to as well. You know, there's space. The last thing I'll say, and I don't know if I should say this, let's say it anyway. Um, Break some news. <laughs> let's do it. The Department of Agriculture is located also on the National Mall. So the staff that works at the Department of Agriculture, very important department. Um, it's the only non-public like entity on the mall. Everything else on the mall, anybody can go to. America's front yard. You can go to the monuments. You can go to the museums. It's free. It's public. It's for everybody. And then there's like this office building there. Yeah. Doesn't really make any sense. And if I was a staffer there, it'd be really annoying to have to go to the mall and deal with all those tourists every day and the protests <laughs> and the marches and the concerts. I think the Department of Agriculture deserves a new building. They should go get a new building somewhere else. A lot of other federal agencies have buildings all over the all over DC that are brand new. I think it's time to make that space a public space, like the rest of them all. So, there so you that's go. a that's an interesting idea. <laughs> they actually renamed their hall after Cesar Chavez what? inside that building. Oh, yeah. yeah, so it was really it's a really it was a nice ceremony that they had back then. What have what have been the biggest obstacles, if any, to get this conversation going? Yeah, lots of obstacles. Um, <clears throat> first of all, is just debunking this idea of a private museum. We have, uh, you know, we, we started this thing right around the time the Tea Party movement got a lot more power. And at that time, it was like earmarks and spending any money, basically, was like really frowned upon. So if you're a Republican, not even if you're that conservative, just any Republican, 
it's like you weren't allowed to spend money on anything. Like there was a real energy of like fiscal conservatism and reducing the deficit. But you know, that's all BS. Because look at us now. You know, yes. so that's one. Um, so. No, it cannot be private. You know, it has to be public. Stop trying to make us have a private museum. Um, we deserve what every other institution has gotten so far, and that's a 50-50 split, public-private. The other thing that we get is, um, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is this idea of why do we need ethnic-based museums? You know, why can't we just have, call it all the American History Museum and, and include it all in that? You know, why? and even Latinos will say this. Like, I don't want to be a separate museum. I'm American, and I should be an American History Museum. Because we tried that. We tried that with American History books, and guess what? We were <laughs> left out. Tried and failed, you know, and it's been decades of that. Like, if it was going to work, it was going to work, and it's not, you know, and that's why... American Indian, African American Museum, they had got their own institutions so they can adequately tell how large their story is. That's the other part of it. 500 years of history for American Latinos. Yes, and then popular culture. Yeah. Our movies, our TV shows. We don't even break 10% of the faces that we see on shows that we support with our viewership and our advertising dollars. There's not that many Latino characters no. or Latino stories. And no. in, in, in it's just, it's just we can't rely on Hollywood, <laughs> our public school system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, we have to make this happen because our story is being forgotten. Yeah, and you'll, I mean, you hit a really important point is that representation part. We have a Smithsonian board Oh, I've done the research. The Smithsonian Board of Regents, in 20 years, 20 years, there have been like 250 board members on that Board of Regents over 20 years. Guess how many are Latino? In, two, in 20 years, over 250. I'll give you one guess. What? You guess. Uh, <laughs> um, 10. Three. Oh, my God. Three. Three. Pathetic. And if you look at the current Smithsonians that are out there, um, they also have uh, like three percent, like three percent, two to three percent Latino representation across all the Smithsonian's. Right? The African American Museum has the strongest board of any other museum. Oprah's on it, I think, or she used to be on it. I don't know, but they've got some executive level board members stronger than any other board. Um, African American leaders in this nation you know, who get to really direct what is how their story is being told. Um, we can't just, like, seed, seed power and seed our own storytelling to an institution that has excluded us for decades, you know. We need our own museum led by our own leadership, you know. We need that. <clears throat> One last question. If people want to get involved, uh, either with dollars or volunteer time, how can they contact you and your group? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, you know, I, I hope it's not too, too I don't know, trite or, or small, but uh, social media is actually really important to us. When we started this whole campaign, it was, you know, like I said, it's been at least 10 years. Um, 
so the ubiquitous nature of Instagram and Facebook and everything was sort of starting and now it's like very well established. So we actually had more followers than any other existing Smithsonian Museum and we wow. didn't even exist. <laughs> Latinos are on social media, you know, Thank like Jesus. we are online. Yeah. And so that was huge. Well, that that record is gone now, right? Like all the other museums caught up, right? Which yeah. is great. It's wonderful. Um, but it's one of our only proxies, you know, to show Congress, donors, etc. Hey, American Latinos are eager and hungry for this museum, and they want to tell their stories, and they want us to tell their stories on social media, etc. Um, we can prove it with that engagement. So we are um, Facebook.com forward slash American Latino Museum and at American at Latino Museum actually at Latino Museum on Twitter. Um, can't even tell you what our Instagram handle is because it's not it's not very active. Um, so that's the number one way to to please join us. Um, we're we're there. We're trying to tell as many American Latino stories as we can. We honor people on their birthdays. We honor people when they win awards, for example, whether it's Juno Diaz, you know, or whoever's winning these awesome awards. We we do that. Try to keep up there, and we'd love to hear from you guys on, like I said, your stories and um, things that we should be on top of. So that's that's the easy one. Um, in terms of uh, uh, financial contributions, I think those are important small dollar contributions. But frankly, if you can join us online, and more importantly for me, if you can take the time to make sure that your member of Congress knows about this museum. And support the act. And support the bill. We have active legislation, National American Latino Museum Act. Um, it's all on our website under, you know, get involved, americanlatinomuseum.org forward slash, like, advocacy or get involved. You'll see it pretty easily. Um, and you can see there how to, even if you're just going to tweet at your member, but even better if you're going to call your member and say, you know, why, why aren't you on this bill? Um, if you're a Republican district, even better, you know, <laughs> that's really helpful right now. We have a fully Republican government. Um, and we do have some strong Republican leadership. But we always have had it. Uh, so that those are the things that are the most valuable, um, separate from from financial contributions, is really that social media support and that advocacy. Um, and then again, we run all the social media and stuff. So whatever you send us, I'll see it. So if you look at look at it through a Facebook message or a Twitter message, or if you go on our website and fill out the um, the contact us, you know that's what I will see right away. Well, thank you so much, Francella, for all this information you've given us. I want to thank you for all the work, the heavy lifting these past couple of years that you've done on this project. We're, we're waiting. We're waiting, and we're here to help you. No, thank you for creating a platform for this. I mean, it's people don't know we don't have a museum. So yeah. you're, you're helping us get that word out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>